Hi, this is Charles Wiz. Tony Silva. And we are Two Teachers Talking, a podcast where Tony and I get together and talk about our experiences teaching, especially in Japan and Japanese universities, and talk about what we're experiencing, what we do in the classroom, what works, what doesn't work, our interactions with other teachers, with the people in our schools and the administration. And today we are continuing a discussion that we started in our previous podcast, which was episode 51, and this is episode 52, about school culture and the differences between schools. And today we're talking about the administration side, administrative side of school cultures. And Tony, I think that we have both worked at a fair number of different schools in our teaching careers. Yeah, it is very true. I think you would say that there is a significant degree of variation Mm. from school to school and that there are also kinds of like types of um, schools. We could put things into categories. But where would you start this interesting, I think, very interesting discussion about school culture? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about the, the differences and the extremely wide range of different environments get get created by um, all kinds of little things lurking in the closets and around the corner and in the crawl spaces. Um, and one of those things... Yeah, I like maybe that's, one, that's a really good way to describe <laughs> One it. of the things you'll find in the crawl space of any university, um, and this is uh, not obvious to certainly anybody who's not in Japan, but even a lot of people, like especially newer people or uh, people who are just, you know, do part-time, 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 um, be fully aware of is the um, role... Or the first of all, just the existence, and then the role of uh, what in Japanese is kyomuka, the education department, uh, ironically called, uh, because it is um, it is an administrative office. It's a bureaucratic office, and it really has um, little to do with education. It actually, has too much influence on education. But it is the um, it's the administrative office. In a university that takes care of um, student registration, student scheduling, teacher scheduling, rooms, so forth and so on, and the um, the these kyomuka, the, these departments in uh, uh, in different universities can have uh, very very different roles and very very different characters. Uh, some of them are extremely powerful. Some of them uh, are merely you know administrative they're they are there in a true support role and i guess maybe that's where you, uh, there's maybe like three categories you might want to put them in and regardless of how much power they do or they don't have um either they have the um idea that they are there to support the education environment right the the, the actual the universe we think in terms of learning and um they are administrative support for that um Others at other universities, uh, things have kind of gotten ass backwards, and uh, the assumption is that some of the teachers and the educators are in <laughs> supporting the administrative end, um, where they really is kind of a, a tail wagging the dog situation, um, much more common than any of us would like to see, frankly. 
Um, and you'll actually have some unfortunate situations where it's almost an, an adversarial relationship. Um, it, it, or some, sometimes it certainly seems that way where um, the Kilmo is almost anti-teacher, anti, and by extension, education. So which what kind of relationship and setup there you got between the educational aspect and the administrative aspect uh, can really set the tone for a school. But a lot of people, you know, say outside the United States might not even be aware of that. And it's one of the key factors that uh, can change the in environment at a school. And I think what I would just add is that when we do talk about the culture at a school, what we're really talking about is Kyomaka culture for the teacher. Would you agree on that? Um, I think that's I think that's a major the major component. But I think uh, depending on the school, um, the actual educational department also can um, have a really big impact. Mm. Um, so, for example, for at one school where um, I had been teaching, uh, there had been a coordinator. I had basically the head director of the English language department. And uh, she, very strong woman, uh, fluent in Japanese, um, great teacher, respected by the teachers, and respected by the Kilmuka. And um, she retired, and the whole balance of power shifted. Uh, and the whole environment kind of shifted a couple of major steps in, in the other direction when the, her successors were not able to maintain that um, influence so it's not just the kiyomoka but also who's at the who's got the you know standing guard at the gate so to speak or who's got um you know the the teacher's backs or i like your your when we were talking before the, the podcast of who's got their fingers in the dike right right <laughs> right who's plugging up those those leaks so that can make a that can make a okay. really big difference and as well as you know the administrator's own experience and managerial skill etc 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 so it's um Kelmogas cannot be ignored and it, it maybe is a the mm. biggest the biggest factor but i think there's some others too okay so there's going to be the Kelmoka and then there's possibly at certain schools depending on how the language program or the english program is set up or how, what department you're in is that there's going to be someone in the department or people in the department who are also going to have an effect right. on your experience as a teacher in terms of expectations support mm. for learning etc so we could divide this up into okay there's the kyomakai aspect and then there's the other aspect, right? The people who you're dealing with, which would is often going to be a non-Japanese person, a native speaker, who is serving in some kind of liaison position or coordinator directorship kind of position. And that those programs, even within a school, could be different from, let's say, the culture of the Kyomoka. Right. Okay. And uh, the other part that makes this difficult, um, and this is kind of a, a Japan thing, is that um, to the outside observer or from you know the part-time the part-time teacher uh, perspective, exactly where those lines are drawn are never obvious uh, to to us, and <laughs> actually delve a little bit deeper, um, probably are 
not that obvious <laughs> to the to the players themselves. Um, the lines will not very often. What because, game am I it, playing here? It's Japan. It's the line. The lines are very very vague. They're not lines. They're gray areas, and it, it you know just like so many things comes up you know, case by case. Um, that yeah, the the responsibilities and the uh, power is not clearly defined. You know who's then the roles and so forth. So. Um, yeah, coming from the outside, trying to decipher all this can be quite intimidating, quite, quite difficult. Mm, I think that's a good point. There's always someone who has to sign off on something. Mm. And right? good finding out who that person is and who's making the decisions is uh, can be quite can be daunting. Yes, but it's important to know when you need to find something out or get a decision or get some advice or input. <clears throat> you know, is this the person? who is making a decision or are they going to be relaying? Aye, there's the rub. Aye, mighty. (laughs) (laughs) Walk that plank. Well, I know that that happens a lot within Japanese organizations, that the person you are talking to or speaking with will then relay that to someone who will then relay that to someone. There's a chain of command. But I've also worked at a place where um, I was dealing with a... um, native native english speaker who was coordinating a program but whenever i would ask a question basically i was told that that person had to check with somebody else so even though that person was officially the coordinator of the program they actually didn't have final decision making authority mm-hmm. so that's an important thing to know and you know because if you need to know something you have to give it some lead time because you're not going to get a decision directly and that helps i think to navigate Mm -hmm. so we have these differences okay but how does it impact on you or i as a teacher or on anyone else who's teaching what's going to be the general impact of these different kind of cultures how does it affect what's going on in the classroom it makes a difference in all kinds of small ways but also in some bigger ways and so um, when it becomes critical um, I think is you know of course when it's too late to do anything about it so when you have for example um, a problem with the student whether it's and you come uh, uh, face to face with got the student you've got you and you've got the school's rules whether it has to do with uh, uh, attendance whether it's got to do with passing or failing a student uh, discipline problems in the class, um, a problem occurs and uh, it, it gets big enough so that it, ca- it has to go outside the classroom. That's where uh, this the culture can make a huge difference. I mean, do you uh, do the is there a teacher support? I mean, it, it, implicit. I mean, from the get go, is it to assume that the teachers knows what he or she is doing, or is the assumption how did this teacher screw up? And so often the cases, and there are schools that are like this, the assumption is is that if there's a problem in the classroom, it's the teacher's problem. The teacher did something wrong, because if the teacher were doing what he or she was supposed to be doing, um, there wouldn't be a problem. So if you're stuck at one of those schools, good luck. Well, that's positive. (laughs) (laughs) And I just want to add that there's two sides on that, right? There's a situation Mm. where... The teacher does make a mistake, and let's say mm-hmm. it's either intentional or unintentional. Again, 
it's automatically assumed that the teacher is wrong in a certain kind of um, culture. Mm-hmm. And in the other one, it's assumed that something happened and people want to explore that. The flip side of this, I think, is, and this is something that most of the people who have taught in Japan, I think, will relate to, is when you fail a student. And mm. is that school going to respect the teacher's decision for failing the student? Because I've been on both ends, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. I was, I had a student in a elective class, and if they didn't pass my class, it was their fourth year, they would not have enough credits to graduate. And when I went to someone to check to find out what was going on, I said, I have a student who's failing, but they won't be able to graduate. What should I do? And the person in charge said, well, this is not a Kyomaka person, by the way, this is a professor at the school, said, did they do the work? And I said, no. And the person said, then they earned a fail, didn't they? And I've been at the other situation where I failed students, and then somebody comes to talk to me and asks me whether or not I can give special homework or do a special retest to give the students a chance to pass the class, mm-hmm. right? And those are completely different environments, and they're actually quite obvious in how mm-hmm. different they are. You'll feel it and see it. So that's just one example how the cultures yeah, you, are different. You can see it, see it right away, the way that, yeah, whether, um, you know, the attitude toward the teachers are they trusted and respected as educators or are they seen as facilitators for the business machine of the university to move move students move the students through the system (laughs) get them get them their job and get them out the door and it's a it's a factory and don't interfere with the flow um yeah you get you get both you get yeah. both. Yes, and that's that's a good way to put it, that there are places, and this is perhaps the biggest difference in culture, and it's reflected throughout the school and how the teacher will feel and in their interaction. Is it an educational institution, or is it a, what is, I guess, is, is it a waypoint in the student's movement from high school to getting a job? Mm-hmm. And I think that might be the biggest difference, right? I think I could actually divide my schools into those two categories. Hmm. What do you think? Does that work for the schools that you've worked at? Pretty much. Um, it's 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 not the sole distinguishing characteristic, but they it's a it's a good indicator and it's a pretty good predictor that the other things are going to fall right into place along with it. Yeah, and I think that if you've been in the country long enough, you will know which schools fit into either category. Mm-hmm. I think there are certain schools that have re- real reputations as serious educational institutions, and there are other schools that serve as these staging points or waypoints for the stu- you know students along their careers. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, though, I don't know if there's consistency in, as to how they treat their teachers. Do you think that works? That, for example, the schools that have the educational approach, see themselves as an educational institution and maintain a a high level of standards, that they treat their teachers better or in a more respectful, trusting manner than the schools that are not so academically oriented. And again, we have to look at how the administrative side is treating people as well as whoever is the liaison between the school and you as the teacher. Yeah, there's a lot of layers there, but I think I want to say, yes, I think that's generally probably true, mm. um, that those two things kind of go hand in hand. Um, 
I think you can, um, uh, again, looking for uh, indicators uh, of, of where you might, where, where the school might be is to take a look at uh, teacher assignments, um, where uh, if you're, if you're at, a, at a factory, uh, you're going to have your part-time teachers limited to pretty much your first-year students and either the, the general uh, English communication classes or if the curriculum has um, specific, specific skill-type classes for the first-year students. And, and the part-time teachers will be completely uh, excluded from any second, third, fourth-year classes. Um, whereas uh, uh, at an institution that really has education as one of its priorities, um, you will find that um, part-time teachers will also be teaching more advanced classes. Again, and again, in the case-by-case -case situation where they, if they have a experienced, capable teacher, they will use that in um, more advanced classes. Uh, whereas at the factories, um, the, the teachers are pretty much interchangeable cog. I mean, just they're just pegs and holes, and one will do the job as well as the other, as long as they don't create any problems. Mm. And I think that goes back to how teachers are treated, and, mm -hmm. right? That there's one that sees the teacher as a professional, somebody who has been trained and is a specialist. And there are other places, and this kind of goes back to that um, the English conversation school approach, which is that a native speaker is adequate. That mm -hmm. you're not a specialist, you're not you have you are not an educator, and we see that in the universities, by the way, that have developed contracts, for example, with the language schools, and then bring in people who are not necessarily experienced teachers at all. So, and the university doesn't know, and by I, extension, I, doesn't care. No, I think they know. I think they know. Well, I mean, but but they but they don't know. So, for example, if they have they've contracted out to a conversation school, the person that the, the conversation is sending might be a wonderful teacher, might be a terrible teacher. The, the university has no way of knowing. They don't even know who the person is. And they don't care. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's a native speaker. Good enough. I think that's, a, that's an indicator of, if a school is doing that, I think that's a good indicator as to which side of the divide they're going to sure. fall in terms of respecting teachers. Sure. Right. So any school that would contract out for this kind of situation is also contracting out the relationship between the school and the teacher. Exactly. And so with that absence, that's telling you quite a bit about that institution and where you know their attitude is about treating teachers. Yeah, it's like, it's like leasing a photocopy machine. Same so they're just leasing a teacher. That's right. It's, right? Equipment. it's equipment. Right. And I know that, for example... I will treat something that is on a short-term lease very differently than something I have to maintain long-term. Mm -hmm. You don't invest in long-term relationships. You don't invest in developing relationships. You well, I, yeah, don't... I think I think yeah, I think you hit it on the head when you said that they were contracting out the relationship as well with the teacher. Yeah, right. just completely separate removed. I think this um this really kind of speaks to um, some of your ideas. Oh yeah, blame um, me for those. <laughs> <laughs> At um at the at that that place where we used to teach together, where you were the coordinator, and um, I remember you had some great ideas about um exactly this right the relationship between um the school and the teacher and the students and the idea of customers and clients and the flipping the roles pretty much and uh, if I remember it was um 
the way you explained it is that the uh, as as the coordinator, the and this is this will blow people's minds, um, that the the teacher is the customer. Right. And uh, the the coordinator's job, the coordinator's job, of course, after we probably shouldn't go down this road, but I do have it here on my list of things to talk about the importance of hiring and Kilmoka and, and the department and so forth. But um, the uh, coordinator's job is to make the teachers happy because we assume that the, they've been hired and for good reason that they are <laughs> experienced, capable um, in, in some way, impressive educators and hence well, have been given this job and responsibility. Um, the coordinator's job is to make them happy, give them the tools and the environment and the support that they need to go in and do the best job that they can. Now, that doesn't sound like me. That sounds like a it nice doesn't guy. Sound, that sounds like a sound, nice, some nice guy. It no, doesn't sound like, like you, but you did say that. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember that. And then uh, you also just talked about, you know, the, the, the schools who teach the students as customers trying to keep the students happy. Well, no, the students are the clients and uh, the, um, the, the, the teachers are the, are the customers. And I was like, oh, this is a very interesting approach. Well, that's because the customer and client relationships are different, right? Mm -hmm. And the client, you can, you know, you think about a professional, which is a lawyer or a doctor or an accountant, let's say. And they can turn to the client and say, excuse me, but your your records are not good enough or you're not doing this right. We can't really say that to a customer in a certain way. But the point with the customer and the teacher, and I think it's a real important thing, is that I remember clearly that one thing I believed is that any coordinator, any director, any administrator, their role is to help the teachers achieve peak performance in the classroom. And I really believe that. And that's the metric I use uh, in terms of evaluating any program or any office or any culture. Does the general culture of that school look at its role? Does it see the teacher as being the key linchpin, the, the the center of where education is going to be taking place along with the students and do they try to help that teacher do the best they can in the classroom or do they create impediments which can be incredible amounts of paperwork um, attitudes assignments how they treat people do they show respect to the instructor so i think it works both ways and yeah the idea is that you have this trained professional and educator and you need to keep that person happy you need to keep them interested you need to keep them basically buying into the ideas of the program buying into the school and buying into the fact that you know these are the students and they are teaching in the classroom because anyone who's taught anywhere in the world can tell you that's a difficult job and it's difficult enough without the admin and other kinds of aspects of the school getting in the way of your teaching. And it is a true joy when you work at a place where the admin people see themselves as supporting the teacher. You're right there. And it's, yeah, it's so nice when it happens. I mean, it doesn't happen nearly often enough, but boy, it can make a difference. 
Oh, it, it really does. Well, I remember that when we were working at that place, that we were gifted with an incredible group of educators. Yeah, we had a, we had a really good, nice team. Yeah, yeah, it was a really nice group. Um, there were a couple of people who didn't quite fit in, um, but interestingly, that we had a group of people and. That was nice, too, because in that situation, I remember everybody'd sit around in the office together in between classes. There was a and, lot of communication. And talk about work. <laughs> yeah, and talking about culture, by the enjoying way. Enjoying it. And, and enjoying it, right? But the real joy of that, Tony, what I remember is that people would come back and go, I just did this and it failed miserably. Mm, that mm. people really felt that you know, f camaraderie or confidence or support so talking about culture is here's a great point is if you as an ed teacher do something and it doesn't work do you feel comfortable mentioning it to people mm. do you feel that you're going to have help assistance is somebody going to help you explore provide suggestions give you useful tools in which you can move forward or do you feel that any admission of something not working is going to be a what is it from catch 22 feather in your cap or thorn in your side right mm. i think that's a good metric to ask to use to measure too right we talked about um there's two two points that you you know, you brought up or well actually made me think of but um they're kind of very related to what you were saying maybe just like underneath what you're saying um one of them is talking about for example this team that we had um it kind of brings to mind the importance of hiring yes and um who makes the decisions and mm. <laughs> for example because like you know you the, again this um the, that kiomoka is there <laughs> growling around on the floor there um to the degree that they are involved in hiring it's like you know you know people who don't speak english making decision on hiring an english teacher well, um, um, hold on. I, I ha you know where I'm going with this right now. I have to interrupt this by saying, you're you're looking at people who have never been in the classroom, not from the other side, as students, anyway. right? Except the students. Yes, that is. I'm sorry. That makes an incredible difference because if we're making educa educational decisions, right? Because unless I been on this side there is so much i didn't know and i you know because i've been on this side i have to basically apologize to a whole lot of my previous <laughs> teachers and also at the same time and this is being completely honest as i would have to scold some of those teachers mm -hmm. that i've had and say excuse me no you did wrong knowing what i know now is i see that that was wrong so but i can do that i feel because i've had time in front of the class. And the more I teach, by the way, and I think you'd say this too, Tony, is that it gets more humbling as you go on. Mm. You realize what an incredibly difficult task it is. Mm. So yeah, mm. yeah, these are people who might not speak English. Right. And uh, <laughs> whoever, whether, whether it's the Kiomaka, whatever role they've got or don't have, right? So that's, that's one problem by itself. But also at the other end, you know, actually, you know, okay, the head teacher, the coordinator, um, who is doing the hiring, Hiring is a is we we did this in a podcast a year or two ago. Not two um, years ago. It's about a year ago, I think. A year and a half. It was in, it was in the fall. Was it one so of it's our coming on, It's coming on two years. Wow, yeah. is it that long ago since yeah. we did yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, it'll be two years in September. And I still have a job. What do you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, and the hiring is is such an important thing, and it's such a hard thing to do. You know, however you do it, and whatever system you devise, 
there's no way to make it easy. You've got a stack of CVs, you decide who you're going to interview, so forth and so on. What, what do you base your hiring decision on, et cetera, et cetera. There's no easy way. But some people are better than others. And who's doing it and what the criteria are that they're using um, can have a huge impact on this environment in the, at, at the school. Um, and it's so important for, for this team, what I call team building with the teachers, create that kind of an environment where you just talked about, yeah, are you comfortable coming in there and talking about your failures? Um, how many people consider that kind of thing when they're interviewing somebody for a job? Not so many. And so who's making the decision on, on the hires um, can impact all of this from, you know, in either any direction, right? Whether it's good or bad. That's an interesting point, Tony, because I'm thinking about that. And you can, I'm thinking when somebody's hiring, they can look at that they're filling a slot. Mm -hmm. There's a need for this to teach. We need a teacher to teach these subjects, let's say subject one, subject two, or subject three. Or does the person approach the hiring as saying, we have this need, we need to get a teacher. And is this person going to be a good fit with the other people? Yeah, identifying the needs, right? So and, what kind what kind of person do you want? And be clear on that. that. That takes a lot of perception. And the fact is, you might be in a culture where teachers don't have much contact with each other. Mm -hmm. And you can be in another situation where teachers have a lot of contact with each other. And I'm thinking, you know, it's a great question from the interviewee is when, you know, if they say, do you have any questions? And it's a good, you know, I'm thinking, wow, you turn to someone and say, well, how do you handle a situation where the teacher comes to you and says, you know, I just taught a miserable class. I just, nothing went right. Everything I had planned for didn't work. Um, what can we do? How do you treat that teacher? I think that's a good question. But then on the other hand, people go, what? Yeah, what? How often does, well, how, how often does this happen now? You see? And, but, but. Exactly. Exactly. That tells you, sorry, I'm really not interested in working here mm. because that's told you that the teacher is not trusted. Mm. Right? Exactly. Mm. How often does that happen? Is yeah. telling you, somebody saying, ah, I'm not granting, uh, I'm an educator as well. I've been in the classroom. And I know that that happens. Right. And anyone who asks you, well, how often does that exactly happen? Is this a pattern? And then you and the best teacher would say, yes, it is a pattern. <laughs> I fail often and I'm always trying to move forward. And yes, my criteria for failure is probably what you would consider your criteria for success. <laughs> but I think you've made a really good point, Tony, that how they view that hiring process and the person, it starts right there. Yeah, that's a real yeah. good point. That's yeah. a good and the, indicator. Yeah, and it, it speaks exactly right to the other thing that I was saying is that yeah, there's um, all kinds of, with all these you know specific things that we're talking about, you know, uh, real world you know, cases and examples. There's a whole set of underlying attitudes and assumptions and priorities, and how those might be communicated, assuming that you're already working there, you're already hired, how those assumptions and priorities uh, are, what they are and how they're communicated. It's never explicit. You're left on your own to kind of figure out what is important, what's not, what's allowable, what's not, what am I going to get rewarded for, what's important, what's not, what am I going to get crushed for? Am I going to, you know, you 
to make it concrete. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, to make it concrete, um, for example, one one of the schools are that the coordinators. No, I expect you to be in the classroom when the the, the bell rings. And class begins at nine o'clock. You're supposed to be in the classroom at nine o'clock. I've been at another school where I want it was like ten minutes after the bell. I'm at the door trying to get to my class. And the coordinator won't disengage from the conversation that he's having with me. I said, hey, man, I got to get to class. Said, well, yeah, it's okay. Like, oh, okay, so for his personal conversation takes precedence over my classroom. Those are two good extremes. Those, yeah. those are really good examples yeah. of where it has to fall somewhere in between that. Because I know if somebody turned to me and explicitly stated, we expect you to start class at 9 o'clock, I would be taken aback by that. Yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gee, you being taken aback by somebody else, somebody's <laughs> comment, right? That the fact that there is not the understanding that you know this is the I know that you know that I know that you know thing. Mm -hmm. That that person obviously doesn't have the understanding that you have that understanding. Right. And and that, it's the assumption. It's the assumption that the teacher would not do that, would not be have the sense or the sense of responsibility to make a common sense judgment about when is it appropriate time to begin a class and end the class. You've got to trust your teacher. I mean, you know, obviously people don't, but it, ideally you've got to trust your teacher at least to that extent. Yeah, that kind of, well, first off, it's an, indi an indicator that the teacher the, is not trusted. Right, exactly, and, and, for, and, and then it just spills over into the whole. Yeah. Now, my guess is, system. sorry to interrupt you here, but my guess mm. is that oh. you did not have a good experience at that school. You were well. It was very mixed. It was very mixed. So that aspect of it was unpleasant. Um, it was <coughs> coordinated program. Um, cough, and, hiss, hiss, A micromanaged coordinated program. <clears throat> One of my favorite situations. However. Um, it was a school where I did have more advanced classes and the students were wonderful. Okay. So that's a situation. Okay. Let's take the students out <laughs> of the equation. Okay. Well, and then by the way, I want to mark something, Tony, which is that you're mm -hmm. not opposed to coordinated programs. You're opposed to micromanaged. Badly, co ba badly coordinated programs. Okay. To badly coordinated programs and micromanaged coordinated programs right. and badly managed micro coordinated <laughs> programs. <laughs> But I just want to, because I know that we've worked yes, together yes. in a coordinated program, and I know you didn't have negative feelings, or at least you've never Correct. articulated them. So Correct. the students made it worthwhile, but ha that kind of, I would just, I'd have such a problem with somebody actually said, I expect you to start your class on well, time. Well, I did. I did. I think I was only there for one year or two years. Okay. And you moved on as soon as you had an opportunity. Yes. Yes. Even though the students were good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, had to. Yeah. Okay, well, here's a... Okay, so let's look at how then did the culture impact you as a educator, right? How did it affect you in not just, you know, maybe not in the classroom because you go into the classroom and part of our job is to be able to, once we shut that door, to close out all that stuff from the outside and really focus on what's going in. But it must have kind of had some kind of effect on you, like some background noise, basically. Yeah, an itch yeah, that you it, couldn't it, scratch, so to speak, right? Well, because sure, because you 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 remind every time that you know you're walking each class that you begin, you're reminded that you know, okay, they're I'm being watched, and you know it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Um, 
this is uh, I'm sorry this is going to sound like a humble brag but um I'm I'm really lucky was that an oxymoron by the way <laughs> well humble brag it's, it's it's a it's a thing now is it yeah, yeah. So it could be an oxymoron, so but it's, you'll, you'll, it's, you'll, it's it's an oxymoron. That's a thing. It's an intentional oxymoron. Yeah, it's a humble brag. It's when you um... <laughs> okay, we're gonna get into a circular <laughs> argument here. <laughs> Go ahead, though. <laughs> so, so I'm I'm fortunate in that I, something I observed in myself. I'm I ha- am able to when I have this kind of situation, or you know, for example, that that, that uh, Semongaka where I was full time twenty five years ago. Um. Uh, leaving a meeting, which is, you know, you just, you know what the frame of mind you're in, leaving one of those meetings, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you're going into a classroom. And this was like, that was, at that school was war. Uh, I was involved in war with um, various factions at the at the school. Um, somehow, in, in that walk to the classroom, to be able to take that anger and convert it into energy in the classroom and i i think some of the best classes that i've done have come right after one of these incidents that was angering demeaning <laughs> infuriating you name it and um i was able when i walked into that classroom just converted that energy into something else um i don't know how i did that <laughs> i don't i don't know that i would be able to do it consistently uh, but i know that i've done it and um I think that may, may be contributed to the the good experience that I had in the classroom there. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm cutting myself off of the knee. So maybe we should abuse all our teachers so they can turn that anger or into I positive should, energy should, in the classroom. Or I should just be real abusive before we start the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying I'm not living up to my potential here? Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's a thing now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I I understand how you feel. I know that that happens more than i would like it to unfortunately most of the time that now doesn't occur too much and i think that's Mm. what happens if you've been here long enough and you've been able to fine-tune the schools you're working at develop your experience get your cv developed get a reputation as a teacher in the beginning though where you're basically you know for this is for the people starting out or in their first few years unfortunately you're going to have to tolerate those situations for a while and learn how to manage it it's difficult it's frustrating but i know that what you just described is how i felt at the program where we worked together that i was coordinating not Mm. but it wasn't from the teachers it wasn't between the teachers Mm. it was from the admin side which i think to my credit here i'm going to do my humble brag now is that i no, I'm just going to brag. <laughs> it doesn't humbleness is not going to work with me. That I had to do a lot of shielding oh. of that kind of stuff so that people basically might have known that there was something going on, but they did not have to experience the kind of nonsense. Well, truth be known, that is the, one of the most important jobs of the coordinator. Right. It's like to keep Kyomuka out of the face of the teachers and let the damn teachers do their job. And what's that shielding, that barrier? And that's 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 the that's the hard part. I mean, that's really hard. And it it takes a toll. Well, the sad part about it was in the situation we were in that it wasn't just Kyomuka, but mm. there was also, you know, a professor <laughs> yeah. who had did, a Kyomuka mind. You know, good call. 
Fair yeah. enough. Yeah, he had a. Yeah, com- he was a teacher, but he had a comical mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, I think, probably wanted to go into administration, mm. right? And that's someone who did not, I think. Well, that's that. We could talk about that a lot, but there was mm. an example. Here's an okay. Let's use the example. I think that that was a situation where someone was put in charge of finding a native speaker to coordinate a program. And then what developed was so different from mm-hmm. what that person expected or envisioned and from what the school expected and envisioned that nobody knew how to deal with it except by restraining it. Yeah, what, uh, what in, in, I think I can pretty safely predict is I think what the school wanted and what they were expecting was, okay, we're going to get a coordinator who's going to be able to um, keep the part-time teachers in line uh, make sure that they show up, make sure that they, um, you know, are strict in the classroom uh, without causing problems and uh, take their education seriously and uh, ride herd on them, make sure they get to class on time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, and what they got was something completely different. It's like, you know, teachers teaching, making demands, <laughs> and coordinator making demands. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> trying to make trying to make it a better educational experience. I don't think that's what they were bargaining yes. for. So right, and so that's an example of one culture and mm. how you had different kinds of cultures within the school. So within, I mm. think, the group of teachers we were working with, right? And mm. I don't like the term team too often. I don't know why. I have like a, hmm. an attitude, but that. That's the pretty much, I think, the only time I would talk about a team with people I've worked with. Mm. And those were some incredible professionals. And I think one of the keys was for somehow by, you know, because I was on one side, I think, of like the hiring, but a bunch of people were already brought in. It was such a diverse group of talents. That was truly what was amazing to me is how everyone's real strengths were in different areas and able to rely. And I think, but also people came in with, the teachers had a real nice approach to working with each other. There was a lot of mutual respect. There was understanding that everyone was professional. And there was a lot of honesty. And mm. I thought that was a great group of people, maybe the best group of people I've worked with in my entire career. If I had to look at a group of people you know, who worked together and worked tirelessly. That was a hard work. It was a group. good group. That was a, a great group. group of people. So... It can be done, but I think it was in very high contrast, significant contrast to the cu- the culture at the school outside of that group was very, very different. So we should point out that there can be pockets of cultures within schools mm. as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have that positive pocket in an environment that is not that positive, and how would you even know about it, right? That's right. telling you that yeah, there's somebody shielding you <laughs> from yeah. a lot of trouble, but and that so often that so often goes unappreciated. Um, you see, um, uh, I see, and I, th- I think you'll agree that you see a lot of uh, part-time folks who are, for lack of a better word, just really whiny, um, overly critical, um, and often about unimportant things. Uh, of course, my judgment, but. Um, Without any, you know, and, and you know, kind of unreasonable with demands about things that are one, you know, just totally outside of the of a, a coordinator's control most of the time because mm-hmm. 
most coordinators. Again, underlying assumption, I assume <laughs> the coordinator is, gonna, is probably trying to do the best job he or she can. <laughs> That's my underlying assumption. And I think, and it's nice if the, it goes the other way that you look at a teacher and you assume that this person is here to do a good job. I don't think, my, my assumption is that people don't show up for work wanting to do a poor job. <laughs> I don't think that happens so often. Um, yeah, we we got to conserve energy. We, we cut corners. This we're human beings. Uh, but again, I think what happens is that a lot of teachers do not understand how difficult that coordinator position is, and how big a portion of that is shielding, and often the tsunami of crap. <laughs> they're being shielded from <laughs> the debris, no appreciation the debris. no appreciation whatsoever you know you know so you got the umbrella like just over the the coordinator holding the umbrella over these over these little ducks you know so under this like downpour of crap and the little ducks are complaining because hey where's the sun where's the sun <laughs> <laughs> right and the flip side of that though goes to a aspect of school culture is there appreciation and understanding for the part-time instructors? Mm. And do you understand that the demands one would make upon a part-time instructor are significantly different than the demands, the, the demands that sh can be made or should be made or are made on a full-time instructor? Mm. And I've worked at schools that do not make that distinction, where people do not understand what it means to be a part-time instructor at a school. Well, I don't think many of them understand that at all. However, um, in terms of demands and so forth, I, I, I do see a, a, a difference, uh, but it's a little bit, it's a, it's a different uh, axis kind of thing, um, where um, I won't say most, because I, I can't really sit down and figure out and count and things, but at a lot of the schools um, where I have taught and maybe am teaching, um, the part-time teacher is less than human, and it's not a foreign thing. It's not a, it's, it's not a gaijin right. thing. It's 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 the part-time teacher. It doesn't matter if you're uh, a foreigner, if you're Japanese. Um, the part-time teachers are often, oh, again, least equipment. They're just and you know our title, right? He joking, irregular emergency workers. Um, we're not considered ordinary usual that's full-time at the end and a lot of the attitudes from whether it's in Kilmica or in the educational department itself um we talked about this before part-time full-time and divide and things uh, again probably about a year and a half ago um just do not given the consideration in can think about part-timers happiness it's like you're you know eating sand it's like what are you doing what are you are you insane um, it just not at all on the, on the horizon, not on, on the board at all. Yeah, I've, I, I, I see that, but I've also seen it from a different perspective, which is mm -hmm. in coordinated programs where the demands on the part-time teachers are equal to the demands of a full-time teacher mm -hmm. in terms of the, you know, the class load and how the class is designed, mm -hmm. where, in, not even including your preparation, you are given 10 hours of grading work, mm -hmm. right? That, you know, where you, 
it's I'm sorry. I think the best way it was ever expressed to me was at one school where the full time people, the coordinators, and there were multiple coordinators, and then there was of a program, and then the top corner. Um, just there was difficulties. The part timers were having difficulties, and finally, one of the part time teachers said to the full time people, "I'm part time because you only get part of my time." And that hmm. includes part of my time when I'm home. You don't get all of my time. And I thought that was a really interesting way of phrasing it. Hmm. Because hmm. people are at three, four different schools. And they only have a given amount of time. And the part-time teacher's load, I think, can commonly get up above 16 coma, 16 classes easily. Sure. A week, whereas sure. a full-time person will probably peak at anywhere from six to eight. Mm. I'm sorry, you know, you're looking at 100% more prep time. So I see it going both ways. And again, that's another example of culture is, are the demands on the teach part-time teachers reasonable and appropriate given the fact that they're part-time? I think that's an important measure. And that goes back to how tr trusted and respected are they? Well, it's, it's it's a double it's a two steps because one is that is that a priority but it goes back to what I was saying is it even considered at all okay fair enough it doesn't it doesn't well who, do, they're just part-time it doesn't matter not even why. noticed yeah yeah so what well, they're over would it work well no that's okay they, they can quit we can find somebody else because this is the same. They're interchangeable. And what we're talking about is the problem with adjunct faculty in the United States as well. Oh, yeah. Right. This yeah. is not just isolated. I think Japan was way ahead of the curve on that. <laughs> Interestingly yeah. enough, this whole use of he joking part timers yeah. has been going on for what, 30, 40 years? Yeah. yeah. And it's only, I think, in the last 15 years, maybe that the American universities are catching up. So Japan has been innovative in this sense. <laughs> and it's a, not a good innovation, I think. Mm. So there's myriad ways that the cultures can differ, right? How the part timers are treated what kind of resources are available. I mean, um, we've often joked about or commented, here's an example of how part-timers are treated. There's one school we both know of where you can't make copies on the same day. Hmm. You don't have access. Uh, no, let me rephrase. You don't even have access to the copy machine. Yeah, because you can't be trusted. Because one person. 20 years ago. One person 20 years ago. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> One person 20 years ago did something and collective punishment was deployed. And after 20 years, nobody's ever thought, you know, let's change it. And I was just having a talk with um, somebody the other day and said, you know, that has an incredible effect on my ability to improvise, right? On my way to class, you ride the train, you're going to school, and all of a sudden you go, you know, maybe this would work today. I hadn't thought about this. But you can't do that because you can't walk in download that, you know, hand out that activity and print it out. You don't have access to that. And that tells you something of the emphasis on a rule over the respect for the teacher's ability to be creative. And I, I find that incredibly strangulating to right. not be able to you know, go with that. And I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure somebody. Again, would... about basic, just basic tools that right. you need in the classroom. Basic tools. Right. And the basic. I mean, it speaks to those whole underlying assumptions. Sometimes the teachers are, you know, can't be trusted to do X, Y, and Z. 
the rule priority over quality education in the classroom. I mean, it speaks to all of that. It's just, yeah, it's incredibly frustrating. Right. And and it's indicative of you know, yes. the culture in that, in, in that environment. Right. And to try to explain that, let's say, to someone who's never been in the classroom, to say, excuse me, but, you know, sometimes I think of things, you know, 10 minutes before I walk into the class or, you know, there's times, right, where you kind of go, ah, you know what, I need this print right now. You put the students on task, you run full speed over to the copy machine, right? And you pull something out that, and that makes the whole class just, you know, jump and sizzle in excitement. Can't do that, hmm. right? And, uh, you know, if you've never been in the classroom, if all you've been is an administrator working at a desk where there's a specific workflow, right, and that usually doesn't require any improvisation or, you know, some creativity and ad hoc, you know, development, how would you even understand that that's a necessary part of being a teacher? Right, because you've got your notes and your lesson plan from last year, so why don't you just give the same lecture that you gave last year? Right. Uh, the way their teachers Exactly, do. exactly. <laughs> right. And I, I do my job this way. <laughs> I have a rule book here and we have specific things and I check off this, 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 and then the paper moves here and here. And that's when you have to turn to somebody and say, excuse me, you've never been in a classroom. Mm -hmm. And I think the best teachers I know, um, and again, that are the ones who improvise. They know where they're going, right? Ah, and... By the way, this is now moving me to a, another another indicator. Be forewarned whenever a university or some school or organization, whatever, asks you to supply your lesson plans ahead of time. I've never had that. Well, yes, you did, but you didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> you were shielded from that. Uh. That was also a place where there was a request that teachers write daily reports about their classes. But there are some places that really require, um, you know, please tell us what, you know, this is your lesson plan. And of course, most people I know don't write out. My, most of the experienced teachers and expert teachers, as John Hattie would put it, have the lesson plans in their heads. They know where they're going. They know what they're hmm. doing. They just need the materials. They don't yeah. need to write out objectives and goals. So, that situation occurred a couple of times and I've actually had to say to people, you do understand, there was a big mistake. And I did say to people, you do understand that this is a formality and that I have no idea sometimes where my classes are going to go because something comes up and I run with it. Oh, was that the wrong thing to say? <laughs> you can, I know that's one where you kind of go, oops, I shouldn't have said that. That was a mistake. Well, that was, I think uh, something else that we were, we were, you and I were just talking about the wisdom of like knowing when not to ask yes. that question. <laughs> okay, let's go to that because we did talk yeah. about that before is that there is, when do you ask and when do you not ask about something mm. when you have a question? Mm. And Tony, mm. I always think that you have a much better sense of how to navigate these waters than I do. At least well, every time you, I listen to you, I kind of go, whoops, I made a mistake again. Yeah, as, you, as, you're, as you're talking about this, um, this uh, you know, for example, this request for the, uh, the lesson plans and things, okay, um, I've been here before. I, I worked in business for a short while, and it was a odd, odd, huge bureaucracy. Uh, much more like the, you can imagine the post office or any government agency than a than a actual business. And actually, they were very proud of their business model and modeled after IBM and this and that. And they had the um, 
uh, people do detailed uh, records of how much time was spent on different kinds of tests, how much was sales, how much is record keeping, how much was this, you know, the three-fourths of an hour, half an hour. And, you know, you look at it, and you look at everybody else, okay, so, you know, how do you do it? Okay, fine. So you make up, you just go, you know, you sit at your desk, you make up three or four, and then you just photocopy them, and you give, you rotate them. And there's nothing to do with what you're actually doing in the field. Um, and that's the way I would handle that request. Um, okay, you want lesson? I can give you, I can give you my 15 lessons plan next week, my 15 lesson plans next week. Um, I'll never look at them. Because <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to riff on what goes and see what the kids are like and what works with this group and what works with that group. And we're going to go in a different way. Um, but um, for example, in uh, like in this situation, um, you've got a class, they've been performing really well. You're maybe a little ahead of the schedule. It's this time of the year. Um, rainy season is cracked. Now it's like hot and miserable every day. Um, you want to give the kids a break. You want to show like a video or a movie? Oh my God, no! Well, you just don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And that's going to happen if you ask. Yeah, you know you can't do that. That's not justified. But don't ask. Mm. Yeah, you know. I think we've said this before. Fly under the radar. Well, right. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes there are things you have to ask for. Right, that you know, required and learning what to ask and what just to do, is an important skill. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah, yeah. When in when in you know, when in doubt, shut up. Yeah, when it's exactly when in doubt, don't ask. Would be the mm. the better rule because I've I've gone ahead and asked the question and it's caused so much trouble because there wasn't any specific guidance that had been written down and suddenly it's like, well, I don't know. We have to talk to this person and this person. Yeah, and, and you put you if, put somebody in the spot, and yes. now they've got to give you an answer. Now they're going to be responsible for what answer they should. They give you the book answer, which they know isn't appropriate. Yet on the other hand, if they say, "Yeah, go ahead and show the movie," then then oh, so and so said it was okay for me <laughs> show movies in my classroom. It's like, and then he gets called on the carpet, and right. So and, you're and, asking so, actually causes somebody else a lot of trouble. Yeah. Don't yeah. ask. So, and they'll be a, most of the time. Yeah, right? most and people get that. I think that they appreciate that you didn't put them in that situation because, again, if people have not had that much contact with administration, is that when anything comes up that's new and out of the ordinary, um, it does cause difficulties for everyone because there's no guidance and it has to go through an incredible process, and it can be unpleasant for everybody. Mm. So there's times where, you know, make the call yourself, you know, okay, I have to just, this textbook isn't working, then bring in your own materials. It's, you know, adapt. But I think, again, there are places where that's appreciated, that's understood. And there are places where it's not. I, I've worked at places where any deviation from the curriculum that's been provided. These are in coordinated programs, top-down coordinated programs that give you lesson plans and materials they want you to go through. You are not given the freedom to deviate. You are not given the freedom to bring in other materials. And the flip side is there are places that require you to use a textbook. And that has, again, an effect on the teacher and, again, is indicative of a certain approach, part of the culture at the school, that's going to affect the teacher. So there's a lot to this. 
Yeah. And the yeah. key is work at a school with a good culture. <laughs> yeah. Try to get a job and think about what we've said, right? That these are some of the indicators. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole the the the, the spectrum is is wide and the schools are all over the place and not consistently in one spot or the other. It's like the, the admin end might be good or better or worse than one at the as in, within the departmental level might be better or worse and support may be inconsistent from one day to the next even um but uh it's good to think about these things uh, before it's too late like for example when you're looking for work and um I, if you can somehow in your interview when there are questions and things not not in a indirect not in a direct blundering way uh, but in you know kind of a smooth indirect way to kind of get an indicate you know indication of where everything falls on the spectrum so you know take a really good look at the people who are interviewing you yes, who are yes, they yeah um who's making this who makes the decision who's the con who's the contact is that the decision maker or is somebody else making the decision yeah i i, I want to share a little story here about a hiring thing too because even though i know that correlation does not imply causation mm. i remember this really struck me really deeply is that um, I was trying to get some part-time work at a coordinated program and um, I sent in my CV and was asked to come in for an interview and naturally it's an interview and you put on your suit and you're you know you dress up and I have to add that I pretty much wear a suit like once a year which is I think to the graduation ceremony or maybe to any of the entrance exams but otherwise I don't teach in a suit and I I used to. I went from like seven suits down to one right now. That tells you something. So I get in my suit. I dress up. I put on my tie, you know, everything. And I walk into the interview and I'm being interviewed by two people in casual clothes. And I remember thinking to myself, how inconsiderate of you not to tell me that this was an informal interview. And that was a warning sign and I should have heeded it. I... um. I thought that was an indicator that there was not respect for the individual because I would never have done that. If somebody were coming in for an interview, I would have, and I was doing the interview, I would have said, excuse me, but I will be dressed casually. Please feel free to dress casually. But I thought not to even say that told me that they didn't have any consideration or the kind of consideration I expected from someone in that situation. I don't know. What do you think, Tony? Um, you think I'm being oversensitive there? Uh, it depends on the context. I think I had you'd have to be there. Okay. I, I think by it, I think by itself, it, it's not. Um, well, my concerns were borne out later when I got the job. <laughs> there. So I should point. That's why I said correlation does not imply causation. Mm. But I think that that's you know to, it's 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 certainly a, a little flag. Yeah, it's a flag. It's not a mm. high-level flag, mm. right? Justify your but it's, it's, it gets your attention. It gets your attention. Yeah, yeah it, for sure, it gets your attention. Right. It's like okay. But I was just trying to run with the point that you were making, right? Which is that these things will come up in interviews sometimes. Mm -hmm. Not all the time, but there are things that yeah, will, you got to watch for. Watch. You want to watch for those things. Mm. You know, um, how are you treated? What kind of questions are being asked to you? Are the questions confrontational? Are they designed to 
find your weak points or are they designed to explore your understanding your knowledge and whether or not you're a good fit hmm. i think um but again you could have a positive experience in the interview or a negative experience and then the general culture of the school could be different also but most likely those will be the people you'll be interacting with i think and that you should watch that reasonably carefully and what do you think tony any real specific takeaways advice you want to give to people I don't know how specific. I mean, we, we talked a little bit, like, just to kind of be you know, aware of uh, the geography. <laughs> yeah, pay attention. Like you said, these little, like, flags, right? Um, like you said, not being told that casual was okay. How long, you have an appointment, how how long were you waiting before you were taken in? Are you offered coffee, tea, You know, that's a good point, isn't it? Yeah. Room. I mean, all, I mean, all kinds of little stuff like that. I mean, um, you know, the chair that you're given to sit in. The, the room that you have the interview in, I mean, you, the, the place is going to be limited. Every place has limited resources and space and so forth and so on. But, you know, again, you, you take the cumulative uh, aspect of that and it, you start to put the picture together if, if you're paying attention, right? Hmm. Um, kind of, and again, it's not specific, it's very vague. It's like um, kind of get a sense of what's possible and realistic and sometimes what you just have to swallow. I mean, some things you can change, some things aren't going to change. And that's going to be the institution. You know, either swallow it or you're going to find another job. Yeah, actually, I think that's a good point, is that pretty much you're going to have to accept the culture at the school. Mm. Um, and that's a real important thing, is you are not going to be able to change the culture yeah. of that organization. And if it doesn't fit for you and it's not good for you and you're not happy, then do your best to find something else and whatever you do do not rag about the school in the interview <laughs> <laughs> but i think it's yeah you can't change the culture mm. and you have to accept it and so try to watch for those little flags in the interviews what you hear from people talk to people about the schools and also understand your reason for accepting the position mm -hmm. right there are times where the culture might not fit you but it's an opportunity to work with unbelievably wonderful students maybe in a subject you truly want to teach. Then you have to bite the bullet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you yeah. really do have to, I think, measure how you want to approach it and what your goals are, what your needs are. Why are you taking the job? Um, if you're starting out in your career, maybe the culture is not the best place, maybe the pay is not the best place, but it's going to allow you to teach a subject or two and, you know, work with, you know, at a good school in terms of, you know, its reputation academically. Yeah, then you know you have to again just accept the situation but don't yeah. go in thinking that you're going to transform a place that's yeah, always exactly. that's always a mistake don't you think yeah yeah that's one of those things that's not possible yeah do not do that <laughs> and you and uh, even yeah even when uh, and oh go ahead oh, go ahead i'm sorry um and not only when you're like like high, you know interviewing for jobs and things to pay attention even the place that you are already in you think comfortably um it, it doesn't hurt to pay attention and look to see, you know, what what is it that, you know, among your peers, what is it that gets recognized? Mm. Um, who's seems to be getting the pats on the head? Um, what are people getting rewarded for? Um, what are getting what are people getting called on? I mean, what upsets the cart? What doesn't? What can you, for lack of a better word, get away with? What can't you get away with? Um, what is you know, performance that merits praise, if at all. 
um, kind of, and, you know, again, pay attention, start assembling a picture, um, and it just might make your uh, voyage there a little smoother. Mm. Um, little things that you can do. Little, you know, just little things. Like, like, for example, a tie. Right. Is, is it going to make some, a some difference? Place, is it going to make a difference? Sometimes it makes a difference. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. And you have to ask yourself, too, are you in a position where you want, are you, do you need to be worried about that or do you care to? Exactly. Right. Yeah, so if, you, if you like the students, the admin is terrible. And they want you to wear terrible. a tie and you it's want like, to keep teaching there? Yeah. Wear the tie. Right. Or if you don't care, don't wear the and tie. Then deal, <laughs> right, but then deal with the consequences. And then deal with the yeah. Realize that there will be consequences. And the other thing, too, about you know smoothing things through, this is for some for beginning people, people who are just starting out in Japan. If there is somebody who is, let's say, I, you know, the liaison, or as many people say, interfacing for you, um, and there's somebody who's really helping you along, doing you things, and you go back home, and you know, for example, that that person, let's say, likes wine. Bring that person <laughs> back a nice bottle of wine. They will appreciate that fact. You know, make sure... Or, or, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Or even... Say thank you. Yeah, let people know you appreciate. It. <laughs> At the very yeah, least, that's much cheaper, right? actually, and then your and your bag isn't so heavy. And it's and it's and it's and it's rare. It's rare. Yeah. Say thank you. Right. Let people know that you appreciate what they're doing, and that's why you know. For example, I have someone who is just an incredible person in terms of helping me along and being supportive, and I know they're shielding me from an incredible amount, and I always. And that person enjoys a nice red wine. And I know that I go back. And if I go to the States, I come back. I will always bring that person back. Something they can't find here. And you can find our addresses uh, for your Ochugen on our website. <laughs> <laughs> and you wanted to say what Ochugen is? Uh, it's a, it's a traditional summer gifts here in Japan. So. Yeah, those don't hurt either. <laughs> right and you can send us our summer gifts that's what you're saying right uh Tony, you, you're wanting right. me to send you a that's summer right. gift beer is no, good i said Wine thank you i said whiskey's thank you before. Fine. yeah there's some of that nice rum oh that rum by the way um a shout out to tony tony um <laughs> that rum is unbelievable thank you for that mm. do we want to say the name of that rum uh, do you have the name on hand? It's metasalum, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, it's like that. It's, I think yeah. it's something called metasalum. There's two kinds. You have the 15-year, and I got the 23-year. Yeah. And the fact that you told me that I could drink a rum straight and enjoy it was truly shocking for me, and you were exactly right. So if yeah, anybody that's... would like to send us our summer gifts of metasalum <laughs> rum, please do so. Thanks for that, Tony, by the way. Mm. That was a great recommendation. Yeah. Oh, and, and I the, did send the person who helps me and shields me at my school. <laughs> I did send him that. I sent him that as a present. <laughs> ah, excellent. And he very was very good. pleased with that, too. So, good. yeah, I think, again, let people know that you appreciate them, no matter what the environment. Because if I think most people as educators and teachers would say that we don't feel appreciated. We feel underappreciated. Mm. So but, kind of change that. Let people know you appreciate them. Yeah. Okay. I think we've gone over our usual time, Tony. Yeah, well, we knew it was going to be a long one. Yeah, I just want to add one more little thing. Okay, for, just a little because a little reminder, right? Because like uh, a little, a little, uh, you know, plug here for empathy. What's that? Um, as, you know, because we're all wrapped up in our own little universes. Don't assume that either the people in the office, like the Kyomaka, those those gnomes in there, um, 
or even your coordinator. Never assume that the three different perspectives are looking at the same world. Very good point. At the same universe, because it what you see is is incomprehensible to them <laughs> as what they see would be to you if you had any inkling on what they what they saw. Mm, good um, point. The three the three sides are really looking at very different universes, different different problems. Everything looks different. Everything looks different. So um, whenever you're confronted with any kind of problem, try before you before you open your mouth, try to get a handle. It's like what what might they be seeing that would prompt this kind of behavior? Um, think about it a little bit. It's because um, it's it, guaranteed it's nothing is the same. That's a really excellent point, Tony. That's a really great point. And it reminds me of uh, my mentor who one time turned to me and he said, Chuck Wiz, you're making the biggest mistake in the universe. And I said, oh, really? What's that? And he goes, yeah, you're assuming that other people think the same way you do, mm. which is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Because we're in the classroom, we see it a certain way and an administrator sees it a different way. And another person who's coordinating the program sees it a completely different way. It's a mm -hmm. great point. Mm. It's a really important point. And um, that, thanks. That's good, Tony. That's that's well, that's the whole podcast right there. <laughs> and there we are. There we are. All right. So I'm Charles Wiz. Tony Silk. This, we are Two Teachers Talking. We can be found on iTunes. Two Teachers Talking. And we can be found at um, on uh, Gmail, right? Gmail. Two Teachers Talking at gmail.com. On the web at Two Teachers Talking.com. And even on Skype. Same, same. There's a pattern Two here. Talking. Two teachers talking. All right. So we've covered school culture. And just a reminder to everyone that we have gone to a monthly schedule. And uh, we'll be just doing one podcast a month. And uh, So next one up, August 1st. That's right. We're on the first of the month schedule. So now you can know exactly when you can listen to us. And uh, we look forward to people's comments and... Again, Tony, it's another Saturday, which means... Oh, you know what I'm doing. And I think you know what I'm doing. Planning, working, checking. So, please have a good weekend. And until the next podcast... What? Adieu? Adios? Adieu. Goodbye? I don't know. I don't know. Something. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm out of here. I gotta uh, go. We're done. Okay. <laughs> Be well. Bye now. All right.